0: Hey, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today's episode is on a subject which is really important, extremely important. It's the subject of maternal mental health. When I was a young mom, I was only 24 when I had my first child, and my way of thinking about life at that time was so simple and My life in general was pretty uncomplicated, other than having a baby, being a wife. That was pretty much it. (laughs) That was all I had going on at the time. I wasn't in my career yet, and all I had to focus on was taking care of my baby. The process of giving birth was really different from what I expected. I remember feeling what a loss of control it was when I had this birth plan and things didn't go exactly as I thought they were going to. But I got through that overall okay and had a healthy baby. The next day after my son was born and he had been in my room all night, I was so exhausted, so scared about not knowing how to take care of a baby. I didn't even know how to change a diaper. And for whatever reason, the nurses weren't really very patient with my not knowing what was going on. I remember I didn't know that the diaper was wet because the disposable diapers are so absorbent. I thought my baby wasn't peeing, even though he actually was. And it turned out that the diaper was soaked, but I didn't know that. So I thought I was having problems with breastfeeding even though he, we weren't, fortunately, and I know many people struggle with that. But I remember on the day we were going to take him home, I was laying there. I think I didn't sleep the whole night because I kept having to wake up, feed the baby, change the baby. Well, I wasn't changing him because I thought he had no pee. But wake up, check to see if he had gone to the bathroom. I think he pooped a couple times um and i changed him then and i was just so exhausted and so scared and overwhelmed about being a parent the responsibility of taking care of this little human just hit me like a ton of bricks and i think now i basically had kind of a panic attack i was crying i couldn't stop crying I was looking at my baby and thinking that he didn't like me. I felt like he was giving me a look as if he didn't love me. (laughs) I can laugh about it now because he did love me and he does love me. (laughs) But at that moment, I didn't know what was going on. I remember my husband had gone home to get some clothes and stuff and he came back and I was just crying uncontrollably. And I remember just telling him that everything was not going to be okay. And he didn't know what was wrong because I had been fine when he left. I was pretty much inconsolable. I think what ended up happening is I went to sleep. I think that um, he asked the nurses if they could keep the baby in the nursery so I could just sleep, and they did. And I got a few hours of sleep, and I woke up, and I felt better. But I remember we went when we went in the car to take our baby home, I've never felt so terrified riding in a car. My anxiety was through the roof. Nothing I had ever felt before was like this. I was so afraid that something was going to happen to hurt the baby in the car. If we went over a bump that it would hurt him. And I was criticizing my husband's driving like you wouldn't believe. And of course, he was reacting to me, you know, telling him he was doing everything wrong. He didn't like that. And he didn't understand what was going on. And then I was very possessive with the baby, not wanting anybody to hold him. I didn't let anybody except my husband hold our baby probably for the first two weeks. I was terrified he would be exposed to germs. I know a lot of these things are normal, but it just is kind of, as I reflect back on how overwhelming these emotions were and how I didn't really understand at the time that I wasn't feeling like my normal self. That's why I wanted to share my story about maybe baby blues. I definitely did not have postpartum depression, maybe some anxiety. I'm not sure if it really qualifies because I don't think it lasted long enough as you'll hear. My guest is going to talk about the different maternal mental health issues that can affect moms and dads and you know what the signs and symptoms are because I think that in our culture there's a message that you're supposed to be happy when you're pregnant you're supposed to be lucky that you can become a parent and really we don't have a whole lot of tolerance for people saying how hard it is or that they don't feel okay so This first week of May is Maternal Mental Health Week. And so I'm sharing my interview with Dr. Kat Kayeni today to help you understand more about maternal mental health. If you are a therapist, please listen and consider whether this could have impacted any of your clients. I work with a lot of people whose kids are older teens, and they will tell me some of the things they went through when their babies were born that they were afraid to ever tell anyone. So they never did. They just suffered alone. And we don't have to suffer alone. There is help available for maternal mental health issues. And, but the first step is recognizing what's really going on. So this week, the maternal mental health coalition asks that we connect the dots. Notice when a new mom or dad is not okay and ask the questions. Moms matter, dads matter. It's the best thing for babies and children that their parents be healthy and well so they can raise them. So I hope you'll enjoy my interview with Dr. Kat Kayani, who is a maternal mental health specialist and also the host of the fantastic podcast, Mom and Mind. If you want to learn more about maternal mental health, check out Dr. Katz podcast, and all the information will be shared in the episode. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and And don't forget, go to TherapyNotes.com and use promo code CHAT to get two free months. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is sure to be an interesting one. I know I am dying to pick this guest's brain. My guest today is Dr. Kat Kayani. Kat, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today.
0: I'm so excited too, because the issue of maternal mental health has really just come to my attention more and more recently, as I've heard from you, who i Originally met through Facebook. And now that I've listened to your wonderful podcast, Mom and Mind. Oh, my gosh, I'm just so fascinated by this subject, which I haven't known too much about. So I'm really eager to hear from you about your work and everything you're doing and, and more about maternal mental health, because I think our audience is going to be fascinated.
1: Well, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this. Because as you were saying, you know, you are a very, very experienced therapist working with lots and lots of people. Um, but because maternal mental health as a, as a specialty and something to be aware of as a therapist is relatively new, not new, but it's, it's gaining steam uh, for people to understand. It's really important for, for, I think, all therapists to have some basic knowledge of maternal mental health as, as a concept and all of the things that, that can be affecting a mom or someone who is trying to conceive or pregnant or postpartum who might be dealing with mental health challenges at the same time. It's really important. Yeah. So Dr.
0: Kat, one of the things that I think our culture tells us about maternal mental health is that, you know, the media tells us that sometimes moms just go crazy and they kill their kids and it's this, you know, shame taboo thing for people to have postpartum depression, that's kind of like the old way. But I right. think I think we're realizing that these mental health issues that come along with the process of maternity are way more common than I think most people realize, first of all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in just in terms of statistics and maternal mental health issues, this is covering um a, a diagnosis or something on a spectrum of diagnoses ranging from conception to through infertility issues, through pregnancy, perhaps pregnancy loss and postpartum, about within that category, about 20% of moms will experience a clinically diagnosable perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. And I can go into a little bit of detail about what all those disorders are. And I know sometimes people cringe when they hear the word disorder, but that's just the the technical term. Yeah. I want to re- really try and bring the the human side to this with you today, as I think is you know something that you are interested in also. Uh that this is not just that thing you see on TV. While there are moms who who do have a very significant and very severe uh response postpartum, the the percentage of those moms, what we see on the news, is very, very small. And most other moms who are dealing with with ma- a maternal mental health diagnosis, uh, we're not hearing about them on the news. They're often feeling very, very alone in their home, feeling like you know something's wrong with them. Maybe feeling like they're crazy for having some of the thoughts, or guilt, or shame that they experience. And often because providers, whether mental health providers or medical providers, aren't aware of the kinds of things that can happen to mom's mental health during this period of time, these moms often feel very isolated.
0: Oh, that's so true. And I think from what I know about it, because in my practice, working with people who have trauma, I'll often hear about, well, 10, 15 years ago, when I had my child, I had a really hard time afterwards, Mm -hmm. I ended up getting on antidepressants, it's kind of vague, like, they don't even know really what it was. But people will say that they had thoughts that scared them, or really that they feel a lot of shame about the thoughts they had, because they Mm -hmm. think that means they're not a good mom.
1: Oh, that's a big one. Oh man. I, I hear that multiple times a week. This idea of being a bad mother and it can be from anything to, you know, wanting to, wanting to just have a minute to your themselves, the mom wanting to have a minute to herself so that she can, I don't know, breathe or go to the bathroom or take a shower. Um, all the way to the more intense feelings of being so, tired and uh, like at their wits end that they just want to scream or do scream at their babies and the guilt that comes with that is often overwhelming so on one hand they're having these really intense feelings sometimes very intense feelings but then very quickly feeling guilt or shame about having that feeling at all or the thought and um, end up just kind of being in a whirlwind oftentimes in their own minds about, oh, if I have this thought, I'm a bad mother, I can't tell anybody about this. What would they think? Or, you know, I'm supposed to be happy right now. What's wrong with me? Especially
0: um, I would think if they may have had infertility issues before, it's like, I wanted this so bad. Why am I not happy?
1: Yes. That is a very, very big risk factor um, for having a postpartum uh, mood change. It's certainly infertility and also, uh, having gone through multiple losses with infertility, mm. your your body and mind are just recovering constantly, trying to recover constantly. If if you're having multiple, especially if you're having multiple losses, and and when I say loss, that can be one week, that can be two weeks after conception, and and that that can range up until eight nine months during pregnancy. Um, I think oftentimes you know, there's pressure to feel like, oh, it was just two weeks. So I should be fine. I shouldn't be sad. Uh, but there's there's often a lot of sadness because it's not just that like, oh, one day I found out I was pregnant. And as if there were no thoughts about preparing for motherhood before, you know, usually when when preparing for motherhood comes before even trying to get pregnant, unless it, you know, it happened spontaneously and it wasn't planned. But wow, I, I mean, there's grief around that too. And that can be around an unplanned spontaneous pregnancy. But okay, so this is,
0: I think a lot of people who are listening to this right now are going, Oh, wow, like, Oh, my gosh, I never even realized that the pregnancy loss I had, that was one week after conception, could have really had a long term impact on me. So let's just back up a little bit and talk about what are some of the different maternal mental health disorders that People can experience. Let's let's name them first, and then we can talk about how someone would know if they might have those symptoms.
1: Sure, absolutely. So as we're talking about about this um, again, to kind of reiterate that 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 a mom or or an aspiring mom can be having an experience through conception, through pregnancy, and through postpartum, and those. Uh, The diagnoses that are included are what most therapists know about generally, but they are different in the perinatal period, uh, pregnancy and postpartum. So we're talking about uh, depression, perinatal depression, either in pregnancy or postpartum, anxiety in pregnancy or postpartum. And uh, we can break anxiety down into its different categories. Uh, Certainly, there's a generalized anxiety worry about a lot of different things Uh, There's more specific anxieties that look more like a panic attacks, and panic disorder. There's PTSD that can happen during pregnancy and postpartum. Oh, now you really piqued my interest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I can go a little bit more into that. Um, And OCD during postpartum and, and during pregnancy as well. And then beyond beyond that, there can be a uh, bipolar onset, after, a bipolar onset during the postpartum period and uh, a bipolar one or bipolar two. And there can be a psychosis, postpartum psychosis. And uh, we can go into that in a little bit of detail, but that's all very rare.
0: I was thinking and I wanted to ask you when we talked about briefly, you said how statistically unusual it is for people to have postpartum psychosis, where they do actually harm their child. I was wondering if that is more common when they've had another perinatal mood disorder that's just been like unchecked and it it hasn't been addressed and it just kind of gets worse and worse to get to that point. Is that, that's kind of my perception, but I don't know if that's true.
1: Uh, Yeah. So in terms of postpartum psychosis, statistically, it's one to two in a thousand, uh, develop a postpartum psychosis, and within that is a very, very small percentage of people who harm themselves or kill themselves and kill their children. Like um, less than less than two percent of that two percent, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's very rare, but obviously this is a generally postpartum psychosis is considered a psychiatric emergency because a mom's capacity to be in touch with. What we all consider reality, or most of us consider reality, it waxes and wanes. So some at some moments they could see, appear and be very lucid and other times may be responding to internal stimuli or uh, internal thoughts. So in, in terms of, um, I think it's important to differentiate, especially for the moms who are thinking right now, well, I have thoughts that terrify me all the time or I have thoughts that come into my head and I don't know where they come from and I don't know what they mean. Um, Within the maternal mental health world, we're very, very careful to differentiate between an OCD type of intrusive thought that is unwanted, doesn't make sense, or is terrifying, and a mom does everything she can in her power to not indulge those thoughts or to keep them at bay. Uh, A postpartum psychosis type of a thought is also intrusive, but is is not seen as strange or bizarre it is seen as real and something that needs to be attended to
0: ah so right there anyone who's worried about these intrusive thoughts can know that actually the fact that you're worried about it means you're more likely not to do what it is that you're worried about
1: absolutely uh, and there are there are no cases of a mom having intrusive ocd thoughts and following through with them in that way in the way that we see a postpartum psychosis because they they are so disturbed by them that they're doing everything in their power to not do them and that's where the compulsions come in gotcha so it can be something uh, such as you know a mom is walking through the kitchen with her baby and she sees a knife on the table and she wonders and it pops in her mind, oh my gosh, what if I slip and cut my baby? Or what if somehow I, sometimes even moms have a thought like, what if I stab my baby? And they're super freaked out by it and they are now avoiding knives. Or sometimes if anybody else in the house knows that she's dealing with these thoughts, she hides the knives or someone else hides the knives. Uh, So that type of thought is, as I said before, the mom is doing everything in her power to not do it.
0: So those are more the OCD type of thoughts.
1: Correct. This is a very high level of anxiety, very, very high level of anxiety. And I often find the moms with that high level of anxiety may have been dealing with some anxiety already. Usually uh, in terms of you were asking about pre-existing diagnosis, um, certainly a, a pre-existing diagnosis prior to pregnancy or postpartum is a risk factor for, for developing a pregnancy or postpartum mood disorder. Um, but not always, it doesn't always happen, but it, it is a risk factor. So in terms of, of, uh, psychosis, um, sometimes, oftentimes, uh, a psychotic episode in postpartum could be an undiagnosed bipolar disorder showing up in the postpartum period after high, well, I should say very high levels of sleep deprivation. Mm. And certainly sleep deprivation, not in a postpartum period, just for anybody can can bring on, you know, very, very strange symptoms. So sleep is um, and I I can get into this a little bit later about how important sleep is um, when we're talking about how to manage and cope with this. But sleep is very, very important uh, for a mom in the postpartum period because of the significant impacts on her mental health.
0: And of course, sleep is one of the hardest things to get when you have a new baby
1: sure is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, so there are there are ways to sort of protect sleep habits, negotiate with partners, family members, if you have support around on how to help protect sleep for mom when possible. But one of the things we look out for is if mom is having sleep difficulties and everything can is being done to help her get the sleep uh, or get rest but she still cannot sleep or cannot rest, then we're probably looking at a very high level of anxiety and would want to look more into that. So actually that's a great transition for me to ask you about
0: how would a mom, if there's a mom who's listening to this or a dad or a future mom or dad, who's, you know, the mom is pregnant or a family member of someone who's going through these kinds of things, what would be the, the signs that someone would know, hmm, this is more than just typical level of anxiety or depression, and I need to seek out a specialist who who knows about perinatal mental health.
1: Absolutely. So uh, certainly, if if they already know that there's a history of depression or anxiety, then to that can can be part of the way that they are already keeping their awareness raised, mm-hmm. uh, because. The likelihood is higher that it could develop in the in pregnancy and postpartum. So during pregnancy or postpartum, itself specifically postpartum, it, as I said before, um, if mom is given a chance to rest and cannot rest and seems very um, busy, cannot sit down, uh, that is kind of a tip off that to look a little bit more, uh, a little more deeply, and consider if she may be dealing with some anxiety. That's if it's subtle. If it, if it's clear that she cannot sit down and she's pacing or she's beginning to have panic attacks or expressing in any way that she doesn't feel right, I, I think I think one of the things that is really can be really powerful is to just listen. Sometimes moms are subtle about like hmm, something doesn't feel right. I'm not quite sure what's what's going on. And oftentimes, because we're so socialized to to feel that a mom's supposed to be happy. During pregnancy and postpartum, we'll say, oh, we'll just take a nap or just go on a walk or, you know, these really like great self-care things that are, are good to use just kind of in general. But moms often feel unheard when they're given advice like that. Uh, it's coming from a good place from friends and family but it often leads to a mom feeling more isolated and more alone. OK, well, I, if I if I don't feel right and I'm just supposed to go on a walk, OK, well, I went on a walk and I don't feel better. It, those are the kinds of things to so really listen. If a mom is is saying, I just don't feel right or something isn't quite right or I can't sleep or she, she might be dropping hints and clues. And, and not that she's trying to be secretive, but she may not understand what's going on. Uh, she may not know what what it is that she's experiencing. And certainly she doesn't want to feel the way she's feeling.
0: Yeah. And it may be worse than what she's able to verbalize.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and from my own personal story, I, I have my own postpartum anxiety and depression, uh, which is why I specialize now. I was a therapist and I didn't know what was going on. And I took up a depression screen. And I knew all the questions they were asking. And I was like, I'm not answering those questions. Uh, because it was hard for me to come to terms with the fact that I wasn't feeling well, because I, I wanted to feel well. And that's a, a lot of moms are feeling that pressure too, just generally in society. I mean, what are the ideas we have about what and who a pregnant mom is or a mom with a new baby? They're happy, they're glowing, they're doing what they're meant to do. You know, there it's it comes instinctively. This is all natural. These are the messages that we tell mothers, and it's none of it is true. Some of it is true, some of the time. And again, as on a spectrum, for some people, they do feel great and they do feel wonderful and they do feel fulfilled. But to put everybody in that category and hold everybody to that standard culturally in our society and also kind of assume that they should be able to do it on their own in some way is ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And I mean, even someone who loves it and they feel mm-hmm. great and they're so happy, it's not, that's not all the time.
1: Right. Right. I mean,
0: Absolutely. whenever you're not getting enough sleep and you're, you don't have time to take a shower, no matter how much you love being a mom, mm-hmm. you know, that's hard.
1: It is. And, and, you know, in terms of it, it is hard. It, we're, and we go through different periods of feelings and experiences throughout our process. Hormones are readjusting, sleep is still not on board all the way especially within the first year. And oh, I that's something I really want to make sure that um that your listeners know is that uh, a pregnant uh, a postpartum mood disorder can have an onset within the first year after birth. It does not have oh. to be within the first month, which is what the DSM says. Uh, as a postpartum qualifier, it can have an onset within the first year postpartum.
0: So someone could have a baby that's 11 months old and suddenly develop these symptoms Mm -hmm. and they probably wouldn't even realize that it was related to postpartum.
1: Right. And that happens a lot. I get a lot of people come in and say, well, my baby's eight months old. I don't understand why I'm having these feelings. There's a lot of stuff that goes into, um, into what, what's happening for a mom. Um, certainly how her pregnancy went, how her delivery went, uh, what her support system is like. And, and when I say support, I don't mean actual, like how many people are around her. It's perceived support. So if you have a hundred people around you, you could say, yeah, I have family. They're, they're around. But if you don't feel supported by them, then it's almost as if no one's there. And certainly it can feel even more isolating. Well, I have all this help and I still feel this way. And for some moms who do understand or who do feel supported, they can still feel isolated. And that's very, very confusing for them. So some other things to look for with a new mom specifically is if she feels like she cannot connect with her child or is having a hard time picking up her child, being around her child and doing some of the the care, child care stuff, there, there's often a, a feeling for a more, uh, for some depressed and anxious moms that it's too overwhelming to take care of their child. It can be that like they cannot tolerate the, the crying or there's just something that's going on for them that makes it hard to attach and hard to connect. Um, on the flip side of that, there are some moms that are so highly anxious, they have a hard time letting anybody else care for their child. Uh, or anyone else kind of have them for too long. Um, they they may be showing signs of kind of needing to have their child around them all the time, checking on them multiple times a night. Um, well, you know, most moms, there's a, there's a certain level of hypervigilance that happens for all new moms. You know, you can hear a pin drop all of a sudden and, you're, and your partner's still asleep. But that sense of hypervigilance for moms who are experiencing depression, anxiety is even more heightened. So they may be, even though they may be able to see their baby safe on the monitor and breathing, they, maybe they feel like they can't, uh, they still need to go and check physically in touch, uh, make sure the baby's okay. I've had several moms say that they will actually wake their babies up from a deep sleep just to make sure they're alive. So this is a very high level of anxiety, generally. And or I, it, depending on the mom's history, it could be she could have her had her own experience of trauma or loss, um, which is triggering those thoughts. So there, there can be, again, I, I like to put things on the like spectrum because this can be relatively mild and kind of manageable within a mom's mind, but it could get harder over time. So even with for moms who are listening and they're saying, oh, my gosh, yeah, some of those things I I can hear uh, for myself. If it's at a point where you feel like you can function and you're okay uh, and you can manage those thoughts, they're not taking over, meaning you can still do the things that you need to do to take care of yourself and your child and and whatnot. Just keep an eye on them. But if you feel like you're in a position where those thoughts, those feelings are becoming crippling for you, making it hard for you to get through the day, it's hard for you to go outside, your house is starting to feel like a cave that you cannot leave. Those are things to kind of be aware of and say, okay, maybe I should go check this out with a specialist.
0: So that would be a specialist who specializes in these perinatal mood disorders and mental health issues, not just someone who specializes in anxiety and depression generally.
1: If possible. Yes. If possible, meet with a specialist and I'll, and towards the end, I'll give you some resources where moms can do that to find resources and also professionals who are listening, therapists who are listening, same place you can get resources there also. The reason why it's important is because some of the factors that we already talked about, um, It's different. There are differences during the the pregnancy and postpartum period that we're just not taught about in grad school or if we are specializing in anxiety specifically or depression specifically. Uh, The perinatal mood and anxiety disorders are different. The pressure is much higher uh, because there's a, well, there's a whole other person involved. It's not just that one person dealing with what's going on for them, you know, aside from if there's other people involved in and why they're feeling stressed out but the the pressure to to provide sometimes very literally from your own body for another person and sleep deprivation is pretty much guaranteed Uh, and that's not necessarily true for other other depression and anxiety hormones are changing lifestyle is changing relationships are changing uh, so these are the factors that, that make it different and why it's important to get specialized training in this to understand how those factors are impacting the mom, let alone to talk about the the pressure that moms feel around medication, um, medication during pregnancy and postpartum during breastfeeding. That's maybe a whole nother uh, interview altogether. But um, oh, gosh, that's
0: so <laughs> important. You're right. Oh, my gosh. That makes yeah. it so much more complicated.
1: It does. It does. So, you know, I often get moms who are coming in and saying, well, my doctor told me I can't take medication or my doctor or they'll come in pregnant and say their doctor took them off of all of their medications. And depending on the diagnosis and depending on the medication, sometimes that's appropriate. But for most moms who are dealing with depression or anxiety and their providers take them off all of their medications right away, their depression and anxiety rebounds. And now they're also dealing with that during massive hormonal shifts. So this is this is why it's important to to seek a specialist who can help them navigate this. Who has some basic training and yes, this is even if you don't know exactly what to do, to be able to acknowledge to somebody that yeah, this is a thing. I don't know entirely what to how to help you, but I can find out. Is way better than saying to a mom, and which I hear all the time, is these platitudes like oh well you'll you you should be happy to be pregnant. Mm totally discounting. Yeah. Why aren't you just happy to be, you know, like, well, if she could be, she would be. So anyhow, I got on a little soapbox and (laughs) it's very easy for me to get on that soapbox. I'll step down and um, we can talk a little bit more about the uh, the risk factors and and treatment options.
0: That's perfect. Yeah. So can we, can you just tell us more? Of course, for me, my focus I know not everyone who's listening shares my passion for trauma but I'm like how does you know having experienced trauma affect this because I feel like so many people have experienced trauma and so many women have experienced trauma and women are the ones who have perinatal mental health Mm -hmm. to consider so but what what are some of the risk factors and how can they play a part
1: okay yeah so risk factors certainly a previous history of a mental uh, a mental health diagnosis, a previous postpartum mental illness or pregnancy, a mental change. Yeah. And a history of trauma for sure. Actually, the more significant the trauma, there's some work coming out from um Diana, Dr. Diana Barnes, who's just brilliant and an expert. And she works a lot in the postpartum psychosis world. She's an expert witness, but she's um, been talking a lot about the role of, um, trauma and, de- and high levels of trauma in developing a psychotic episode in the postpartum period. Mm. This is really, really severe trauma, um, like high level ACEs study score. Yeah. If you guys are familiar with ACEs study. Uh, Anyone so who
0: listens to this podcast should be familiar because <laughs> I talk about it.
1: Right. Right. So um, that, that's not necessarily true that that will, will uh, lead to a postpartum psychosis, but I'm um, just to highlight that. Yeah. Um, a history of trauma um, can lead to a postpartum mood disorder. You know, what
0: comes right to my mind is that so many women who are in abusive relationships are abused during pregnancy and how that can put them at higher risk during the pregnancy, not just physically and emotionally, but also now Um, that's like. Adding to how hard it can be postpartum when you're in an abusive relationship anyway, Mm -hmm. and you've experienced some relationship violence during pregnancy, that Uh just seems like it's really putting someone in danger of, you know, emotional, deep emotional distress
1: absolutely and and i mean chances are if high chances are if they're already being abused whether it be physically emotionally verbally financially uh during pregnancy that they're already dealing with depression or anxiety or trauma during pregnancy and certainly if they're already having it during pregnancy the chances of it worsening postpartum are much higher because there's all these other factors the sleep deprivation the hormone changes the life change that's happening the you know, even the 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 things that you have to do to get through the day, like figure out how to feed your child, are so much harder. Mm. So, yeah, that, that's a very very important. And um, certainly, there are uh, when meeting with a mom who's pregnant or postpartum, get understanding their pregnancy history, understanding their their abuse history, if if they have an abuse history, is super important in trying to understand how the um, how they're coping. Or not very well.
0: Honestly, this is blowing my mind. My mind is I'm building (laughs) new neural pathways right now because now I'm like, I need to get more training in this and Mm -hmm. add this into my practice. This is like obviously so important to to go, you know, alongside what I'm already doing. And I hope other therapists are thinking that, too, because for the listeners who so many are probably saying, oh, my gosh, like that's me or that's my Sister, or that's my mm-hmm. niece, or um, and I know that men can have yes. pregnancy mental health disorders too. So,
1: yeah, the statistics for men is that a, a paternal postpartum depression is about 10%. But if the mom is dealing with depression or anxiety, their risk is 50%.
0: Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. oh, this is just like a new frontier, honestly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a couple of really uh, great uh, clinicians, ma- male clinicians who are focusing on, um, paternal postpartum depression and transition to fatherhood.
0: Wow. So. Cause this is really, really, <laughs> really, really good for me. I'm like, okay, good. I know we're a little bit not as organized as we would like, but I think this is freaking fascinating. And I'm okay. seriously am like going to go ahead and do some training now because I'm totally like sold, which I didn't even think it applied to me that much before today. Oh. But anyway,
1: I'm so I'm I'm so glad you feel that way it applies to everybody I I know
0: it seems like such a specialized sub-specialized kind of thing but really for my clients now that I think about it Mm -hmm. like oh my god
1: Mm -hmm. yeah it's well 20 percent is a huge number in terms of other diagnoses that people deal with, just like gestational but diabetes, for instance, I can't remember the exact percentage of people that deal with it. It's like six or 8% or something like that. They are screened. And yeah, they, we treat that like forced. it's a big public health emergency. Right. Everybody's screened. You all have to drink that nasty drink stuff. that sugar and, water crap. <laughs> yes. And that's to protect, you know, babies, of course, and to prep protect the moms, but 20% of moms are dealing with this and very few people are either, either looking for it, screening for it, uh, and screening is another another big part of this, or, or talking to moms about it as a potential. I mean, so often I hear moms say, well, nobody ever talked to me about this. I didn't know that this was a possibility. And if somebody had told me, wow, it would have, if I had just been made aware that this is a possibility or things to look out for, I could have, you know, saved myself a lot of um, grief.
0: If my husband hadn't mentioned it, I wouldn't have been thinking about it. And he mm-hmm. was a psychology major and I hadn't finished college yet. So I wasn't really that aware, you mm-hmm. know.
1: Yeah, we do. We do such a grave disservice to moms. But it's, you know, here's here's the the. The really difficult part is that the reason why this is so, so important is because not only is it affecting the mom, it affects the baby. Of course. It affects the baby in utero and it affects the baby after delivery. And this is where things get really sticky because moms, because mental health is, Mm -hmm. I'm going to use some big ass air quotes here. (laughs) I'm going to use some big air quotes here for in your head Mm -hmm. uh, that they feel like They are now if they are diagnosed with depression or anxiety or admit they have depression or anxiety that they are hurting their child Mm -hmm. on, you know, what's wrong with me? It's just this other layer of guilt and shame and all of this stuff that moms are now having to deal with. But it's
0: also this thing about what our culture says about moms, mothers.
1: It's rough.
0: It's like, you know, don't have too many kids because everybody's going to judge you. But, you know, don't have kids unless you can take care of them. If you don't have enough money, don't have kids. Like, but then, you know, you're supposed to be this, like, you're supposed to lose the baby weight. Like, it's incredible (laughs) what they tell us.
1: Yeah. There is no other period of time in a woman's life where she is more highly scrutinized, told, given opinions, touched without permission. Disempowered. Disempowered. and, And basically left to feel like they're also through all of that supposed to be happy and grateful and look good and look good and don't complain. Right. 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 Who can walk that tight of a rope? Nobody.
0: No, you're right, man. I'm lucky. I was only 24 when I had my kids. I was a little (laughs) bit more oblivious. I was just like, Oh, whatever.
1: (laughs) Well, that that can help a little (laughs) bit,
0: but that's not the reality for most people now. So that's, you know, that's not the answer.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there are, as I said before, there are plenty of women who have, are fine and who go through. Um, Another thing I didn't differentiate was that baby blues is about two weeks postpartum. If any mom is experiencing symptoms beyond two weeks or even within two weeks and during the two weeks it's very intense, it's more than baby blues.
0: Is baby blues an actual thing?
1: Mm -hmm. It's about 80% of new moms experience baby blues it can it, it can feel i don't know to give it something to compare it to it can feel like a really bad pms mm-hmm. but there are still moments uh where you're you're able to be okay uh, you may be crying you may be sad you may not understand why and uh, you know among all the other things that your body is is doing um to recover from birth um you can have these emotional ebbs and flows ebbs and flows, right? But if that's lasting longer than two weeks, then we're looking at probably something else.
0: Okay. So you talked about the risk factors. Now, can you talk a little bit about, and I know you did talk about sleep and support, but generally what are some of the things that can help to sort of prevent if that's possible, these things?
1: Yeah, to prevent. So certainly more and more is coming out about, um, you know, everybody goes in with a birth plan about how to get the baby out, but we're not planning that much for what happens after the baby is out. Mm. So there are a couple of of therapists and people out there who are really working on working with couples to prepare for postpartum so that they can get a little bit more in depth to how to deal with that transition. Not everybody is in a situation where they're in a a coupled relationship. So that's not always possible. so the things that that can be can help to prepare or to be a little bit ahead of the curve if if you already know you might have some risk factors or certainly if you want to avoid is to try to set up a system of support i'm right now i'm specifically talking about postpartum okay is to to think ahead about just kind of who you are what you prefer in terms of Let's say when you have a baby, do you think you might want to have a couple of days where you don't have visitors? Do you think you might want to have a little bit of time where you can settle into figuring out how to nurse or whatever your plan is if you're not planning to nurse, figuring out how to bottle feed, that kind of stuff. The first couple of days are are pretty important. So if but if you're very social and you want to have a lot of people around, um, then cool, allow people to to come and hang out because it's. a a kind of a vulnerable period of time right after birth, just having some time to recoup and recover. Setting it up if possible with people to bring meals by, if you feel like that would be helpful to um, um, there are a couple of websites that help parents set up meal trains so people can kind of sign up to bring drop by a meal for the new parents every other day or every day or something like that. So these little types of supports can be helpful. What is the most important is is sleep. Um, so right after a baby comes, moms generally aren't sleeping much, if if at all, in the first couple of days. Sometimes they can, and sometimes they can't. Um, and that's the same with partners. If the partners there and involved, they may not be sleeping either. But these are uh, these are things that can be negotiated. Aside from from nursing, a mom who is nursing and exclusively nursing, she will be responsible for being up and awake. Um, but for periods of time where she's not, those periods of time are negotiable if she has help around in terms of allowing someone else to help take care of the baby so she can rest if she can rest, um, and, and protect her sleep as much as possible. Um, it's very hard to have a routine in the first couple weeks, couple months with the baby, but having a discussion with your partner or support people before about like, Hey, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to need help. Making, you know, getting some sleep and getting some rest. How can we negotiate, uh, you know, how that could happen to protect sleep in terms of mood specific uh, in terms of managing mood specific stuff? uh, Because there's such a high amount of pressure after a baby comes to figure out so many things. I really encourage moms to as much as possible, allow themselves to not know Hmm. because. We don't, we don't. There's not an intuition that just kicks in and we know everything to do. That's a myth. Uh, We don't know what we're doing and we don't get a whole lot of training. Maybe there is a breastfeeding class, but still you got to figure it out on the job. This is all on the job learning. So the pressure to know what to do, to know uh, the right choices to make, all of these right things, it really, really adds to the feelings of anxiety and depression that moms can feel. Um, so I, I emphasize as much as possible using any skills that she already has on board. If she knows how to do, if she's done yoga or she's meditated or she has any mindfulness practice or, you know, maybe it could be as, uh, some basic breathing training to help manage any, any senses of, of stress that are coming up and trying to catch them early on, if possible. But, but with the emphasis of, It's okay to not know. It's okay that I figure this out as I go along. A lot of moms worry that they're going to be harming their child if they're not picking the exact perfect thing to do for them. And the reality is, is that no mom is sitting there and, you know, thinking of ways to do the wrong thing. They're working very, very hard already. uh, And they're already at the job of mothering by trying to understand what is the right thing to do for my child. That is being a mother, trying to figure that stuff out. You're already there. You don't have to try and be be this perfect mother. You're already being a good mother by by working through those things, by you know, trying to figure that out. My my biggest suggestion is to just take it easy on yourself in your own mind. Relieve yourself of the pressure of picking all of the right things uh and doing all of the things perfectly. Because your your baby it just is happy to just have you like kick back and hang out.
0: Mm. Gosh, you know. What came to mind when you were saying that is just with this perfectionist culture that we're in mm-hmm. and how I've said this like time and time again, I feel like I'm like the, you know, kind of curmudgeonly kind of person who's like, oh, man, what everyone, you know, these kids today. But it's like <laughs> the pressure that's on the young moms in terms of like Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. yep. Pinterest to put like. Baby is one week old and have a mm-hmm. perfect picture of a perfectly clean mm-hmm. baby with clean clothes on, no baby acne or cradle cap, right. and you know no hairs growing out of weird places and just looking right. so like an a little you know the Ann Getty's babies mm-hmm. that used to be right. so popular when I was a young mom, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that pressure to look, have things look. Mm-hmm a certain way. Oh, it's so unfair to us to put that pressure on ourselves. It is,
1: it is. And this, uh, unfortunately, social media is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the internet in general, right. Um, during pregnancy and postpartum, uh, everything can, an answer or a non-answer can be found at any point in time on the internet or an opinion. So certainly for moms who are dealing with anxiety and are already dealing with these feelings of perfectionism and needing things to be just right, the internet can offer new things to be worried about. So they may be going on to answer a question and to get relief from something and they come off of the internet feeling more stressed and more anxious. Mm. So I I do try and that's part of my assessment for moms is, okay, so Um, Yeah, you need downtime and Facebook and social media is a good way to stay connected on a certain level. But how do you feel when you're looking at that stuff? How do you, what are, you know, especially in the middle of the night, when you can't sleep in the middle of the night, and your baby is asleep, what are you doing? Are you on social media? Are you researching how to get my baby to sleep? Mm hmm and then up and keeping your brain active and stuff like that. So I I really try and understand what their relationship is with social media and with the internet to see if it is in fact contributing to the anxiety or depression.
0: Oh my gosh, this is just like so interesting.
1: Yeah, I did I did a presentation on um, the potential trauma of, of social media and internet on a, on a pregnant and postpartum mom. Mm. And um, they're, but not just trauma to the baby, but attachment issues that can happen uh, if a mom is dealing with anxiety by hyper-focusing on something like the internet, missing some of the cues from her child if she's coping with anxiety by being engulfed in something else. Yeah. Okay, well, let's
0: talk about what resources are available for moms who might be listening to this and feeling anxious and saying, well, okay, and what can I do? What can I do <laughs> yeah. about it?
1: Right. Uh, so sorry there, if you guys are feeling anxious and worried <laughs> about this. The good news is, this is the best news, is that all of this is treatable. Yeah, it is the, It's so treatable. The trick is here is to finding somebody who knows how to help. And that can be in the form of a support group, most likely some individual therapy, sometimes medication management. And there are, there's a couple of organizations that are leading the charge in this. Some are, are, uh, so I'll talk about the ones that are here in the U.S. Postpartum Support International, postpartum.net is the leading international organization who works a lot with therapists, works a lot with moms. So they're both a resource for therapists and a resource for mothers to get support. So they offer training. They offer a certificate training. It's like a two-day certificate training on the the basics of maternal mental health. Um, they also offer courses online over the course of a couple of months or several months, uh, but you can take them online from the comfort of wherever you choose. And they, they have a network of over 300 volunteers, and I'm one of their volunteers, so I can speak a little bit more s- Directly about the work that they do, there are volunteers placed all over the world who cover certain specific areas. And when a mom is finds the PSI website and is looking for support, she can call a person that's local to her community and get specific resources for therapists or providers who work and have some training. They've been vetted on some level to make sure that they know appropriately how to work with a mom who's experiencing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. Um, They also, PSA also offers us a a warm line, so a mom can call in to that, and someone will call them back within 24 hours for support and help get them connected to other resources. They offer an opportunity weekly for moms to call in and chat with an expert, and then once a month for dads to call in and chat with an expert. Hmm. They have a resource on their website for families who want to get information too.
0: That sounds like a great resource. And that's all free yeah. except for the trainings free. and stuff.
1: Yeah. That's all free except for the trainings. There are other organizations. Postpartum Progress is a pretty well-known um, organization. And they are kind of mom-to-mom based. The woman who founded it, uh, Catherine Stone, is uh, was a mom who had her own experience. And she founded this organization. And now they have a really wide reach, um, and a blog and uh, all kinds of ways that they support moms, uh, resource lists as well. Mm. And for therapists who are listening, there's a woman named Karen Kleinman, uh, who she has, she's written several books. She offers, I think it's 24 CEUs if you read three of her books. Mm. And so she, uh, and they're, they're great resources. And on my podcast, I'll just refer to myself, on my podcast, I'm interviewing a lot of these experts. Oh, I've interviewed Dr. Shoshana Bennett. She has a training, a postpartum action institute where they do training. She has an app, PPD Gone app for moms who are wanting to learn more and kind of track some of their symptoms. Wow, that's great. I know. It's pretty cool. And so you're welcome to refer back to the Mom and Mind podcast as I have a lot of experts and advocates on who talk more in depth about their resources and what they provide, like Postpartum Support International. uh, Wendy Davis is the executive director. She was um, on on the podcast and talks really in depth about what they offer.
0: Yeah, I really want to emphasize that your podcast, Mom and Mind, is a really great resource because this is, we are just barely skimming the surface of this totally fascinating subject. And for people who are listening and are saying, well, yes, that is me. And I want to know more. I think your podcast is really a wonderful resource.
1: Thank you. I I appreciate that so much. And I I also, you know, part, part of the goal of the podcast is one, to get information out there to other providers, get the information out there to moms. And I do have moms come on who talk about their personal stories of their their way through their struggle and how they found healing, how they found recovery, and that they're okay now. And so, uh, what I really want to emphasize to to the providers who are listening and to the moms or, uh, or other people who are listening is that while this may sound very scary and potentially terrifying to to deal with something like this, very intense, you can get help, and the earlier that you pay attention and get the kind of help that you need, the better off you'll be, and you absolutely will get back to better functioning. And sometimes even if moms, especially moms who've had a pre-existing anxiety or depression and have never been to therapy, can come out of therapy feeling better than they did before, because they're learning new skills on how to cope that they didn't have before they experienced this. So I really just, I want to emphasize that moms, partners, family members, these moms can get better, but they really, they need the support. They need the understanding. You don't know, have to know how to fix it. You can help them find somebody who can help them fix it.
0: Yes. It's so hopeful to know that if we take maternal mental health seriously and give it the attention that it deserves and give moms the attention that they deserve to how they're feeling so that they can mm-hmm. be their best, Yeah, that, you know, it benefits moms and Babies and partners and families and mm-hmm. benefits everyone.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, there. I think that saying is like, "If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy," or <laughs> so, something like that. I it's, love that one. It's kind of true, but uh-huh. also, no pressure, mom. If you're not feeling okay, that's okay. But we can get you help, and you can feel better, and you don't have to do it alone.
0: Exactly. So, Dr. Cat, how can people find you and your podcast and all of the stuff you're doing? Because I, I know that you're a wonderful resource.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So my website, momandmind.com, my podcast is there, but it also can be found on iTunes, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, Google Play Music, and pretty soon on iHeartRadio. So the podcast is available in a lot of different formats. And certainly you can contact me through my website or email me at momandmind at gmail.com. I do offer in my community offer maternal mental health training and consultation and certainly I meet with moms individually and I run a pregnancy and postpartum stress group in my community as well really my goal is to make sure and really if moms are listening right now even if I'm not in your area and I can't specifically help you I can help you find people who can help you or you can go to postpartum support international and there's a list of people there who can help find your resources. I don't have to be your therapist. I just want to make sure you're okay and that you know that you can get help and that you can feel better. So if, if I'm the avenue for that, cool. I'm fine to, to chat with moms and give them resources. Um, if you'd like to come and meet with me, just, um, just find me online at momandmind.com. Kat, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. This
0: has been really wonderful and I can't wait to share it with the world. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Kat Kayani on maternal mental health. I felt like this was such an important discussion. And as you heard, talking with her made me become convinced that I need to learn more about this subject so that I can help people because in the time since I interviewed Dr. Kat, I've come upon more and more situations where someone needed help with postpartum mental health and or maternal mental health in general. And I was not, I had a really hard time finding someone in my local area who could help them. So she gave some great resources and look for me to be offering this in my practice soon. But for now, thanks for listening. And in continuing the theme of maternal health and Mother's Day, my interview next week will be on the subject of shame in parenting. So until then, stay tuned. Hey, this is Laura Reagan. You may have heard my therapy chat interview with Charlotte Heiler Easley, LCSW, who's an EGALA and PATH certified psychotherapist offering equine assisted psychotherapy in Lexington, Kentucky, which aired last fall. Charlotte is doing beautiful work and I loved our conversation. In fact, it motivated me to begin spending time mounted and unmounted with horses and I've been in love from the first moment. If you've been following Therapy Chat, you've probably heard some of my discussions about this in November and December of 2016. And if you missed our interview, you can listen by going to my website, therapychatpodcast.com and look for episode 56. That interview was very powerful for many people. And based on that, Charlotte and I have decided We want to offer two day long retreats here in Maryland, combining my work with hers. So one day will be for therapists and the other day is for anyone who wants to connect deeply within both days. We will be journeying inward to connect with ourselves and make connections with one another using elements of the daring way together with Charlotte's EAP work. We already have the dates. All we need is to finalize the location and then we will be opening registration. So if you're excited about this, please email me at laura at laura Reagan, or go on therapychatpodcast.com and you will see a link to contact me and I can add you to the list to be notified when registration opens and mark your calendars because the dates are September 15th and 16th, 2017 here in Central Maryland. Each of the two retreats are limited to eight participants And I hope you'll join us. Also, if you're in Maryland, you may be interested in my weekly Daring Way group for women, which begins May 25th, 2017 in Severna Park in my office. Groups will meet Thursdays from 4 p.m. to 530 for 10 weeks. If you're interested in possibly participating, contact me at Laura at laurareaganlcswc.com and I'll give you the details. There's a screening process to ensure best fit and group is limited to six people. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC.
1: For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.